Hello, it's Father Kelly. Welcome back to a thing that I haven't done in a long time. That is, record a homily. So what happened, here's what it is. What happened was, I changed the way I wrote my homilies. I went from doing kind of a full text thing to just some bullet points. And it worked great for preaching. It made my, you know, the delivery was better in church and I really enjoyed that and it was less literal labor. But with the side effect that at the end of the day, when I would usually record these homilies, Sunday afternoon, I was exhausted. Well, I'm exhausted anyways on Sunday afternoon. That's not new. But before, when I had a whole text in front of me, you know, it's already written. It's right there in front of me. All I gotta do is read it and, you know, give it one more time. That's not too bad. So it was easy to get homilies recorded. But since I changed the style, since I do things a little bit differently... It's a lot harder whenever I get to Sunday afternoon and all I have is a couple bullet points, i.e. I have to, you know, do a little bit more mental labor in the process to get it done, to get it actually recorded, to actually give the homily. It's not just to be read. It's not been happening because, oh, I'd rather take a nap. No offense to y'all. So, this evening I feel motivated. Just finished the 5.30, the 5 o'clock mass. Haven't had dinner yet. I know if I go out to dinner and, you know, am therefore full and content, uh, ain't gonna happen either. So, I'm in this prime spot, and for once, I suppose I've been here before but didn't do it, I'm actually getting my butt in here, sitting down, and recording the homily before I go eat dinner, and then don't want to do it, don't want to do it anymore. So, it definitely wouldn't happen tomorrow evening, because, Sunday evening, because we had a special mass in the evening, and I, yeah... Ain't gonna happen after that. So, by the grace of God, much to my own surprise even, I'm here with a homily for the second Sunday of Advent, year A. If you've ever been to downtown Oklahoma City recently, maybe you've seen the new streetcar situation. Uh, you know, you might think streetcar, sort of San Francisco-style streetcar. It's not like that. They're very sleek. I think they're white and blue, sort of bullet train-looking things. They don't move bullet train speeds. They don't need to be shaped that way. But, you know, they look cool. They look like monorails or something. But if you've ever having to, if, you, if you've ever had to drive around those and you're not used to it, especially, and if you're like me who downtowns are just difficult anyways because of one-way streets and unfamiliar things and who knows what, they add a whole other element to it. Um, but they're cool, you know, as long as you... Kind of pause for a second and go, okay, where's the train going? Okay, okay, here's how I navigate this. Don't run into the train. That would be embarrassing. So we have these cool, sleek new trains. But it got me thinking, reflecting on you know, how we got there. And, you know, it wasn't always so nice and neat and clean as it is now. I read a book a few months ago uh, called Underground by Will somebody. I forget his name. But it was about sort of our... our humanity's lives underground, caves, tunnels, and then included subways and had a little description about, uh, or really a whole chapter, about the old school Victorian era London subway system. Which you've been to London now, they have, like most major cities, uh, a large subway system. More or less clean, quiet, efficient, and all those things. But it wasn't always that way. Before, and the major difference is that they had, believe it or not, coal-fueled subway trains. Which, okay, fine. 
Maybe it doesn't seem too big of a deal at first, but think about this. You've ever seen a coal-powered train steaming along, you know, American West column of smoke coming up as it, as it goes along the plains? Well, imagine all of that smoke in a tunnel. And think even more, where on a train the engine is? At the front. So, the author of this book gave a rather vivid and honestly awful picture of a Victorian era or late late 1800s era London subway train where the tunnels are these vile, smoke-filled, unbreathable, death-inducing holes where it's so thick with smoke even inside the train cars even you know you you think it you you might hope that it would stay clear in there no even inside the train because the 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 coal smoke was so dense that even within the train cars you could hardly see you know down the length of the train maybe maybe not even the person across from you so imagine being stuck in a tunnel in a rickety noisy dark smoke filled train traveling through underground london awful i we might complain about transit now, but nothing would compare to that of what we have now, in, in the first world at least. Uh, no matter how late or uncomfortable or busy a subway train is, it's not also full of coal smoke so dense you can hardly see through it. But it struck me that this train situation is a good analogy both for our moral life and for Advent that we're in right now. In the moral life, it's the, when, when we have sin in our lives, when we are sinners, which of course we all are to more or less degree, most of us more, when we are sinners, it's like having that smoke inside the tunnel, inside the train car. It kind of clogs everything, makes life difficult, makes life painful. Uh, we, it's just an awful experience. The more sin that we have, the more we're weighed down and burdened. And uh, maybe we don't even, you know, it seems like we can't do anything about it. You know, if you're a vic- if you're if you're someone in the 1880s who needs to get across London and the train's your only choice, you have to endure you know 45 minutes or however long it takes in this choked with smoke train car, this ton- this train tunnel. And that's your only choice. You have no way, no seeming way to get out of it. That's how sin often can seem. We get stuck in it, and it's as if there's no way out. There's there's no uh, way through, but through it, and we are weighted down we're, we're burdened and with our you know think of the difficulty of breathing it's everything is is painful because of this the sin that's in our lives and hopefully hopefully we are eyeing the end of the tunnel that's what we're supposed to be doing you're not supposed to enjoy that kind of experience you know you shouldn't enjoy being stuck in sin in your life any more than you enjoy and you know the londoners would have enjoyed should have enjoyed being in these smoke-filled train cars. You're not supposed to enjoy that. Unfortunately, some people don't even know that that's not how life is. Uh, Some are so stuck in sin or have been for so long that they're like a person who doesn't even know that that the train comes out of the tunnel. They don't even, you know, have a sense to look up and expect and hope for the end of the tunnel. They're just consigned to it being the way it is. That's obviously no good because there is light, there is fresh air, there is something outside of that. And that's why it's like Advent because we are looking forward to the change, to the light, to the end coming. In Advent, we are looking forward to Christ's coming at Christmas, the light at the end of the tunnel. 
Lent is the time that we are in the tunnel. We know the end is, we know that light is coming, that freedom is coming, but we're not there yet. We're waiting. We're, we are in expectation as people who would have been in this uh, awful London subway car back in the day would have been. So you know, while now uh, technology has moved on, we have nice, quiet, smooth, efficient electric trains, you know, both in London subways and in Dathan, Oklahoma City. Many ways in the life of faith, we are still stuck back in the old days. We are still stuck back in these you know, dark and choked off things. So our job this Lent, this Advent, pardon, our job this Advent is to be expecting the end of the time, to be looking forward to have our, in a sense, our, our face pressed against the window of the train, trying to look down the tunnel and see Christmas coming, to be free of this darkness, to you know, go to confession, partake of the sacraments, get ourselves free, get away from the darkness of sin, get out of this expectation and through to the new light of Christ coming at Christmas. So um, hopefully that's a helpful analogy that can you know, make some concrete, uh, some, a reference for what Advent is like. It's like being in a dark train tunnel, maybe even a really unpleasant one, uh, looking for the coming of the Messiah. Not that Advent isn't pleasant on its own, on purpose. It's a very beautiful season, but it's the expectation. It's the, it's the looking, it's the longing, it's the sense of we're not here yet, we have to keep going. That's the part that, that we take away from this, that uh, while Advent itself, unlike the train tunnel, is, is very pleasant in its ways, is a very beautiful season, uh, still, nevertheless, there is that longing for, that looking for, that, that hoping for uh, what is coming, what is the future, that, that light at the end of the tunnel, which is Christ, the light of God, truth himself, coming into the world.